The San Antonio Public Library podcast team, Tuned In, presents eSports in San Antonio series. Hello, everyone. This is Edward, the San Antonio Public Library Tuned In podcast team. Today, we'll be speaking with Caitlin from State Marriage University and Travis from Texas A&M San Antonio University, and we're going to discuss eSports and higher education. Caitlin, can you talk about yourself a little bit? I am the head esports coach at St. Mary's University. Previous to this job, I had worked at um, some of the collegiate esports leagues. Um, I've worked with game developers and various freelance um, jobs in the esports industry. And so one of the things that I loved uh, working on was building teams. Um, and so I am very, very fortunate to be at St. Mary's, uh, being able to not only build um, esports teams for specific games, but also building a coaching team and a coaching staff to help, um, you know, guide and coach our our players. Travis, how about you? Sure. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm the head esports coach at AM San Antonio. Uh, prior to this, I served as the assistant esports coach for Ashton University all the way up in Ohio for about two years. Uh, prior to that, I ran a uh, professional StarCraft II team while I was in school. Um, and kind of similar to what Caitlin said, that's kind of my first experience uh, in team building. And that's actually what led me to seek a job in collegiate esports because I really love you know, building the community aspect and just uh, bringing people together and, and kind of getting them access to cool stuff and giving them uh, good experiences you know, to, to go along with that collegiate ride. When I was back in school in university, I gamed a lot, but uh, I never really left my, you know, my normal apartment. Um, and I feel like esports now, in a, when it's like at a varsity level, recognized by the university, it can it can help bring students more out of their shell and and get them access to something that they other might otherwise wouldn't have had. Great, great. And Travis, I see you have two player students with you, student athletes. Yeah, we do. Uh, we got Mateo Gomez and we got Charles Stiegler, and I'll let them do a quick introduction, real quick. So my name is Mateo Gomez. I am under Travis, as he said, in uh, Texas a and San Antonio, and I am currently on the Valorant team. I'm Charles Stigler. I uh, participate in the esports program at Texas a and San Antonio under the Call of Duty team and the Rocket League team. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. I have a question for Travis and Caitlin. We started this journey. I met y'all back beginning of the summer, and y'all had a full semester with COVID. Tell me how this semester has been this fall semester for y'all as a coach, coaching athletes, and in this COVID environment? I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Um, definitely a unique experience, right? Uh, I came into this job thinking, you know, with two years of experience under the belt, I said, hey, I might actually have some of this figured out finally. Come to San Antonio, pandemic happens, and everything goes out the window. And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a lesson. And, and humility, right? That that you, there's always something new, uh, but you know, just adjusting with with the times and making sure that we're doing things safe and uh, following university policy uh, on the esports side specifically for us. You know, uh, looking at the space we had available, we had to make some adjustments, making sure the room only stayed you know at uh, a certain amount of people, fifty percent capacity. That affected how we uh, arranged our practice schedules because we couldn't have say two teams practicing in the room at the same time because that would have pushed us over. Um, so for me, that was just a lot of work and trying to juggle all these different schedules and make sure that each team could still get, you know, their dedicated practice time for the week. Um, but just doing so in, in a safe way, uh, competitively, 
that part actually is actually pretty, pretty similar to a normal season. You know, we compete online. We still did our weekly matches. Um, we allowed the students to practice from home or from the facility, whichever they felt comfortable with. Um, so things went pretty well in that regard. I was pretty happy with that. We didn't really have any serious issues. And uh, I think we did the best we could, you know, with, with the resources that we had. Yeah, and to kind of mirror that sentiment, um, it definitely was a very unique experience. Uh, for me personally, coming into this job back in March, I think I accepted the position um, the day before we went on spring break. During spring break, my boss tells me we're not coming back to campus. And so that was definitely a um, an experience. Um, Previous to the job, I hadn't managed players for a couple of years at that point. Um, I had managed um, event teams or, you know, a team of community coordinators um, in a work environment, but not necessarily players for a while. And so myself and my assistant coach, we, you know, we hit the ground running. Um, we found out very quickly how, like, the two skills that we really needed and continue to use this semester and probably forever will be, like, dealing with ambiguity and being flexible, like being able to make the best decision with maybe limited information or limited resources or, you know, just not knowing um, certain certain things. Um, I don't think we expected that we would, you know, even going into the spring semester stay completely online, um, but that's something that we've had to work with and adapt. Um, but, you know, with figuring out the health and safety guidelines and the, the processes that we implemented into our arena, um, at the end of the day, it's what worked and it's what kept everyone safe. And so I think for us, that is a success. Um, you know, the winning, the competition, all of that is nice. Uh, but this semester specifically, it was, you know, making sure everyone is healthy and safe. Number two, you know, making sure everyone's keeping up with their grades because, you know, we've got freshmen, we've got sophomores, juniors, seniors who have never been part of like this online learning. And so making sure that we can guide them through that, push them through that and get those grades um, while also um, continuing to compete. And thankfully before, you know, varsity esports programs existed, esports competitions were pretty much online at the college level. Like we didn't have to travel anywhere. We didn't have to do anything special. So, you know, with that on our side, we were able to have what we could consider a regular competitive season. It's just the setting that changed, you know, we're not physically in the arena together. We can't do team building. We can't go out to dinner afterwards, but for those things that we can't do, you know, we did our best in trying to supplement online team building and game nights and just fun things to keep, keep up that camaraderie. And, you know, at the end of it, as long as the players are doing well academically, they're doing better, mentally and you know they're having fun with it i think it's an overall success it sounds wonderful you're able to adapt and still be successful that's awesome to hear so i'd like to know when did or how did esports move from the garage to the classroom what was the evolution from land parties to now it's a varsity sport uh that's a that's a big question um you know we touched on it a little bit i think in the context of collegiate esports, but esports as a whole, um, you know, like you said, from the garage, or I'm glad you said garage instead of basement. 
um, so garage sounds nicer from, from garage to where it's at now. Um, you know, esports has always kind of been associated with an organic growth and a grassroots type thing. Um, but at the same time, that was also kind of, I want I don't want to say preventing it from reaching the next stage, but that wasn't enough to propel it into the mainstream. It wasn't really until these past few years where we started to see um, actual companies and, and large corporations and sponsors step in to bring in that kind of, uh, Th those, those resources that are associated, you know, with traditional sports industries and stuff like that, the production, the, the staffing, the money, um, they took an interest into it. A lot of uh, traditional sport orgs bought into esports, you know, they either straight out bought teams or they provided the resources to, uh, you know, become co-owners of existing pro teams since they started to, to copy the structures, the production that they used for traditional sports. And, and that's why, you know, we see Overwatch, say on ESPN or CSGO, we saw it on, on Turner. Um, it's these larger uh, structures that have already been in place. They started to finally see the growth that's already been, you know, that's already existed for esports. They finally started to recognize it and, and realize that, you know, if we put our resources into it, we can bring it, you know, and, and grow it tremendously. And, it, and it's been working. Past two or three years have been, um, you know, the, the highest growth rates for esports that we've seen pretty much in the history of, of esports. And yeah, I mean, basically it, it happened over time. Like Travis said, it's about the community. It's about the organic and authentic growth. I think that's a huge part of esports communities is um, that sense of community and that sense that it's real, that it's not just, you know, these are fake numbers and bots and you know, what have you, that these are connections and relationships between real people over a common interest. Um, and, you know, again, the change in culture, change in pop culture towards like nerdy or geeky type things, you know, the, the crossovers in different games, you know, whether it be D&D &D and Stranger Things, you know, that becomes part of the mainstream and that opens people's eyes to, you know, all of these different things that maybe uh, didn't have as many eyes looking at it before. Um, and, and realistically, I guess what it comes back to is it's, like Travis said, it's the buy-in, not just monetarily, but in people's minds. You know, they're buying into this idea. Um, they're investing not just their money, but their time, their 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 minds. Right? They're opening, um, you know, expanding the idea of what entertainment means in terms of esports. Opening their mind in terms of you know competition as it relates to esports that competition isn't just the sports that we see on tv it really is this buy-in and investment um and we're still in our infancy i think when it comes to esports although you know it's still this this big change this big shift there's still a lot more that has yet to be seen and so i think if we continue to see these communities um online if we continue to see you know these things in our pop culture and mainstream um and we continue to see not just the individual buy-in but the organization and the business buy-in and investments in this industry I mean, it's just going to continue to grow and i want to just piggyback real quick um off what caitlin said uh kind of relating to the entertainment part i'd be remiss if, if i didn't mention twitch twitch tv being created what 2011 sometime around uh, and that coincides exactly with the growth of modern esports as we see it now. 
um, Twitch opened up really a whole sector of, you know, industry. Um, it finally allowed for, you know, these, these companies that have been around to see the viewership numbers and, and uh, the, the interest there was for esports because prior to that, we had big esports events and we had these lands, right, that drew hundreds or thousands of people. But it's hard to translate those numbers into, you know, exactly, you know, a thousand people is a lot, but it's not that much, you know, in the grand scale of things. But when we, when we saw Twitch come around and then, you know, League of Legends did their championships and we start seeing, okay, there's 400,000, 500,000, over a million people now watching those numbers mean something, and those definitely um, that definitely helped bring in and attract these these larger companies and their resources. I agree. I agree. Mateo and Charles, I'll start with Mateo. What sports or what got you into esports and made you think that you could actually do this at a college level? Um, the biggest game that I would say is my influence to getting into esports, and it really uh, drove me kind of competitively was uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee. Uh, whenever I was a kid. Super Smash Bros. was kind of my thing. I really enjoyed it when I was growing up. But uh, the ones that I would play, I wouldn't necessarily call them. You could play them at a competitive level, but there was always a degree that you could take it higher that I didn't know about in Melee. So whenever I became a freshman, some of my friends, we got together and they were like, hey, have you seen this game Melee? It's, it's pretty old, but it's really cool and technical and stuff. And then so we went over to my buddy's place and we started playing and we're like, wow, this is hard. But, like, we would watch videos of, like, these other, like, professionals. And they would just be doing some insane stuff. And I, I wanted to do that stuff. And I knew I could do that stuff if I put the time into it. So it really, like, kind of lit a fire. And, you know, that fire is only going to get bigger because as time, like, went on, me and my friends, we had a, we call it, like, Melee Wednesdays. And every Wednesday, we would go to his house. It was right in front of the school. We, we would, like, get off the bus in school. We'd walk across the street, sit down, play Melee. And then we do that, then we talk, and as time went on, we started getting better. And not only just getting better at the game made me like, oh, this is really fun, but like doing it with like my friends and just, I don't know, it gave, it gave it a different level of appreciation. And then what even sparked it like farther was whenever I went to my first local, that like seeing more people like just besides my friends, people I didn't know. People that, I, that we just shared a common interest in and that I could just talk to them. I've never seen them in my life. And then I could be like, hey, you see my fox? It's pretty nice. And then we would just start talking. It, it, it was a really, a really nice thing. Like it showed a community aspect, it showed a, a sportsmanship aspect. And even though I got dead last, I still had a lot of fun. <laughs> That's really what counts as long as you have fun and you learn. And to piggyback what Travis said, YouTube people watch people play video games all day long. So I think YouTube and Twitch were major contributors to the movement now. So Charles, how about yourself? Um, so I guess I started off playing Call of Duty and um, back then, uh, junior high, high school, you really don't think about going competitive at that point. So you're just having fun playing with friends, watching Optic back in the day, um, seeing what they can do, watching Optic's company. Um, basically just playing with friends until we can get good enough. And then I never really thought about going into esports as a whole because I, I knew that going into a college, you really have to find a college that had esports already in it. And I knew Texas A&M San Antonio was a pretty new college as they were only accepting freshmen maybe one year before I started going to school here. So I wasn't really expecting it. I just playing with friends, like how Mateo said, just coming home after school uh, doing what we needed to get done and just hopping on Call of Duty and playing for the night. So we had to go to school the next morning. So 
I guess just watching really what led it to was coming here and then seeing that Travis had really led a esports program grow and then Call of Duty was one of the few that they had. So I thought, hmm, might as well play because they actually had a tournament that they had a in-house tournament. So I played in that and then that's kind of how I got into it and started looking into it a bit more. So Okay. Okay. So another question for you two. Are y'all from San Antonio? Yes, I am from San Antonio. Awesome. Charles? I am not. Okay. I'm from Pearsall, just about an hour south of San Antonio. Okay. Okay. So the scholarship brought you to San Antonio at six AM. Uh no, not really. It was just it was a pretty well known school system, the A and M. So and it was only an hour away, so it kind of the best of both worlds, not too right. far from family. Right. So that's great. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. So I have another question for the two coaches. What are your expectations from your students? What do you expect them to do in the classroom? What do you expect them to do out and on the field? Can you call it a field? What do you call it? Uh, well, that works. Works. Okay. Virtual field. Uh, shoot, I feel like I'm going to sound like a parent. Wait, I can go first if you please want. Do, please yeah, do. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take this one. So to sound like a parent, uh, academic and competitive excellence. Uh, but really what that means is, <laughs> um, you know, looking at 3.0 GPAs, you know, that's what we're trying to aim for minimum. Um, within like our athletic department at St. Mary's, there's this like competitiveness between all the teams to like have the highest average GPA. And so, you know, while yes, I want all of my players to pass, I want us as a roster to like be, you know, the highest average GPA. So academics, um, to competitive excellence for us, that means, yes, we want you to win. We want you to show up. We want you to take the forfeit wins if our opponent doesn't show up. But it also means that, you know, you're graceful in victory and defeat, uh, that you, you know, are a good sportsman, um, that you're not, you know, being toxic or refusing to say GG kind of thing. Um, and that you practice that. I mean, this is what you're here for, that you're going to show up to practice. You're going to be on time or you're going to be early. Um, you're going to, you know, work with your team on whatever needs to be worked on, whether that's communication, whether that's strategy, whether that's learning a new hero champion, what have you, depending on the game, um, that it's, you know, working with your coaches, working with your analysts, uh, working with your team manager to get from start to finish from practice to competition to you know, end of the semester, um, you know, other expectations are going to be things, you know, that are a little more, I guess, maybe fluffy, can't really quantify, but, you know, being a leader in the community, being a role model, we've got quite a few high school students that look at St. Mary's Esports and when they, you know, become part of our broadcast or they're in Twitch chat with us and they see you guys giving interviews, like you you know, we expect y'all to be role models because for some younger students and players, you really are. And so that's kind of a lot to live up to. But I think, you know, I think setting these expectations and holding them accountable realistically helps them to get into the right direction to, to, to achieve those expectations. 
Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> nothing I can add on to that. She hit nailed right on the head. Um, that's, I think, what every coach, you know, regardless of esports or not, that's what you really strive for, and that's what you try to build your program to be and, and hold your students to, to those standards. Um, you know, hold anything less, I think, is a disservice to the students and, and to the school. So, yeah, absolutely what she said. Okay. So, you haven't had to show the Allen Iverson practice video to New Year's students yet? That's oh, they, they quote that already. They, they don't. do practice. <laughs> that's great. But then again, who would want to play video games all day? You know, no, that's a no-brainer. Nobody would. Nobody. That's really a no-brainer. <laughs> so, I know San Antonio has, that I know of, St. Mary's, Texas A&M. Is the college level of having a varsity sports, esports team, is that growing now? Across the city, across the state, across the country? I can only talk about Texas because I'm pretty sure more states might have a bigger thing. I'd say, yeah, like across North America, it's growing. I mean, Texas has definitely got its... Um, has got its shining stars like UT Dallas, um, but there are schools across North America, you know, U.S. and Canada, that have really notable programs. Um, and I think in my mind, there's like no one size fits all. They're all different and special and unique, and like there's something that they're known for, not just you know like esports. I don't know, Travis, what do you think? No, I mean, perfect way to describe it, right? Uh, even just between St. Mary's and us, right? Esports is housed, you know, possibly in a different department. Even looking at the facilities, right, the physical space, St. Mary's has a very nice facility. You know, we're, <laughs> we're going to be kind of in a, a smaller classroom for the next year or two. Um, some schools have, you know, they, they've done it big and they have an arena. Some schools, you know, they, they renovate and they use their classrooms. But, you know, it's not like a, a basketball team. Every school has kind of the same basketball court and, you know, even just the look and feel of each program is, is different and their goals and depending on where they're housed, right. If they're under athletics, um, maybe there's more of a, a motivation to, to compete and to win. Whereas if you're under rec sports, you know, maybe it's more of a service to the current students. So it really, the landscape is, is different, but I think that's a good thing because um, in order for esports to, to continue growing at the collegiate level, there can't be just this one model that you try to fit all schools into. It has to be per school. Um, you know, there's standards that we need to hold, you know, all programs accountable to like academics, et cetera, and sportsmanship and stuff like that. But aside from that, there's not really like an NCA that comes in and say, you have to do it exactly X, Y, and Z, right? They give you, we have some leeway, at least for now, for the next few years, I imagine. Okay. So Caitlin mentioned something, you just mentioned it also about your staff. What is your staff look like you said analysts things of that nature how many coaches or analysts or staff members do you have on your staff at your st mary's and that Texas a&m right now i'll start off so for us we have one grad assistant right now and three student workers um and then back when i was at ashland we had two full-time was media assistant and the head coach so already an example of a of a difference there but um the goal here would be to eventually get like a full-time assistant uh, and keep the grad assistant um, and really just to, to build it out. Um, one thing I'd like to do in the upcoming semesters is add more student worker positions to fill in roles like a, a caster or a commentator, as Caitlin mentioned, an analyst, where we can actually, not only does the student get to participate, but they get to be you know paid accordingly for their work. Um, so that, that's goals for, for the upcoming semesters for us. Okay. 
And for us, it's, it's fairly similar. You've got myself. I've got two assistant coaches. Um, I've got one League of Legends specific coach slash analyst. Um, and one student worker who is our who serves as our community coordinator. So she does all things related to community events, um, moderating our Discord, things like that. Um, and then we have, uh, I know I'm going to count wrong, but I think it's four student um, shoutcasters who are either getting... Um, volunteer hours for classes um, or this is their internship for one of their classes. Um, in the future, I would love to add um, a coach for every single game that we have a team for and um, offer more work studies to our students as more opportunities arise, especially like in our arena, having that be a work study is on um, it's on the plan for when we get to kind of be back on campus. So I'm really excited for those kinds of opportunities that we can build for students, not just our, um, you know, St. Mary's employees and staff, but also, um, you know, those learning experiences. Right. Right. So Mateo and Charles had another question for you. So Mateo, how was your first experience in competition? Was there a rush? Describe that for me. My first experience in the competition was, it was definitely a new experience, but it wasn't something that was bad. I'm, if I'm correct, I'm, I know we won the match. And <laughs> it was, there was a very high morale when we won. And that was like a really nice feeling. Like there was, there was not a point where the whole team was down on itself. Uh, I think morale is a really big thing uh, for the Valorant team. It's always what, it's something that should be strived for in, in all teams, of course. But after we won, it was, uh, it was definitely a new experience because like it wasn't just like a solo win um it was like a team win and then it's so it's always something we crack jokes about i i believe our team leader he uh he ate wings that night and he he says that the reason we won was because of those wings the lucky wings so it's just something that we crack jokes about and it, it was a really nice experience and i i enjoyed it cool charles um, yeah, basically, basically what he was going off of, um, like, you're not really playing for yourself at that point. You're trying to play in a more of a team aspect. And so like me, for me going into the first call of duty, uh, match that we had, um, I knew that it would be tough because we'd be going against, uh, call of duty teams that have been together for say a semester before us or a year before. Us, so they already had chemistry working together to whereas us, we, we had a couple of PC players come to controller and then a couple of people that just were on the COD team. So basically we, we knew we had some things to work on, but um, it didn't really come into fruition until we actually played that first match. So I, I, I think our first match went pretty well in terms of a team aspect, but we did learn a lot of like, Hey, we need to do this correctly. We need to work on this stuff, but this stuff weren't worked well. And so it was, it was more of an eye opening experience to how, how much you have to work as a team in order to get the results that you want. Right. Right. Cause it's, it's easy to play on your own, but you have a team, you depend on other people that teamwork will determine if you win or not. That's a big thing. Definitely. A big Definitely. Thing. So Caitlin and Travis, what do you look for in the player? When you go out recruiting, what are the qualities you look for in a student athlete? Uh, I'll go first. Um, 
there's a lot you look for. Um, if I had to boil it down, really, because I mean, there's obviously you want people who are skilled and, and can communicate and are well-mannered. Uh, what I look for the most is someone who's open-minded, willing to improve, willing to take criticism, uh, to give constructive criticism, um, and, and that they have the, the right mindset, like I said, to, to get better. Because I'm not looking for someone who's necessarily the best right now. I'm looking for someone who can take construction and, and be motivated to learn and be good two, three years down the road, right? I think that's kind of a similar thing you look at, you, you see in traditional athletics, you know, a lot of freshmen coming into a basketball team, they don't play at all the first year, right? And they're on the bench. They're there to observe and they, they still practice, right? Um, and they're still learning, you know, they're not there to necessarily play. So it's, it's different in esports, right? Because they do get to play. But uh, that's really what I look for is, is people who have the right mindset. They're not toxic and, you know, they're, they're just genuine and, and they're good people. Yeah, that is definitely a lot of what we look for, you know, that good attitude, that like positive energy that they bring, um, you know, are they willing to communicate, not just on mic, but on paper, you know, can you communicate to me what you want to get out of this experience? Um, you know, good test scores and GPA, that's always nice. Um, but I think for, for me, it's, it's um, the potential, you know, I'm looking for leaders. I'm looking for people who are going to invest back. And that's something that we talk about a lot is that at St. Mary's, we're investing in each student, in each player. And that's not just a monetary investment. It's the opportunities we build or the experiences shared. Those are investments in those students with the goal of, those students, you know, graduating school, coming back and investing in their community in some which way. And that's really hard to find when you're recruiting. Um, so it's, you know, who can I see that might be a team captain or a team leader or someone who would be a liaison between us and the other athletic teams? Um, where's the potential, you know, am I going to bet on the, League of Legends player who's been playing for eight seasons but has been stuck in silver? Or might I take a risk on the bronze player who's only been playing for two seasons, but hey, last season he was iron, right? It's that growth potential. Um, not that there's anything wrong with playing league for eight seasons and remaining silver, but it definitely gives me pause. Um, <laughs> so yeah, who can I, who can I invest in? You know, who's, who's already showing me some kind of positive trajectory and, uh, you know, keeping in mind, not all of my players will be the team captain or be the team leader. Sometimes you just need those supporting bodies, you know, people who bring good attitude, good energy, who got good grades, who are going to help, you know, kind of be the glue to keep people together when times are tough, you know, when we suffer a loss or a couple of losses, you know, who's going to be, uh, you know, a hype man or super fan, what have you. It's not just a one size fits all when you're recruiting. It's okay. I'm going to need a bunch of different kind of people to make this program or this team successful. Right. That's right. And I won't say no to the eight season silver player. Like I, it's not I was gonna say. We, we, we understand. We understand. He's going to be that role player that you but know what he's like, going to do, what he's going to so, produce. Someone out there watching this. Just, they're going to hear that. And they're going to be like, oh. There's be one tear coming out of his eye because he was going to apply for St. Mary's. <laughs> he's been stuck in silver. Oh, man. That recruit's going to go to Tam Yusa. We're never going to hear that. Uh, eight season. Well, 
Oh, that's too funny. We'll talk about it, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. Let's change notes, how to get them to, to gold. So my next question would be, what video games are y'all playing competitively now? And are there, another question added to that, because it just popped in my head, everything y'all play is on the PC, correct? No, it's on the console also? Okay, well, back to that question. What video games are you playing now competitively? Uh, I'll start. I feel like every time I get, I've answered this question every time, and I always am afraid I'm going to forget a game. So this semester we did Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. We did Call of Duty, uh, Modern Warfare, and Cold War because it switched off in the middle of the season. Um, we did Rocket League. We did Valorant, and we did Overwatch. So that was our that was our five, um, and. In terms of console, technically Rocket League is a PC game, but you play it on controller. Um, Call of Duty is also, they allow for cross-play, so we had players who, some played on console, some played on PC, but you had to use controller across all the platforms, regardless you know, if you're a PC or not. So uh, that kind of, yeah, to, to answer your question about the consoles. Okay, another question before Caitlin chimes in. Uh, Are, is there an equipment oh, requirement? Well, it's going to be just a just a addition like a one A. Is there an equipment requirement when you do competitive competitions, or could you just pretty much bring your own stuff? It's something standard. You have to have this controller with these specs, or so you could just you bring your own equipment. Uh, I got answer that real quick, and I also forgot to mention that Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is only on console, so we had to buy like two switches, and we have those in the room for them. Um, and then your question about the the equipment, right? So certain. Again, Super Smash Bros. can only be played on the Switch, so that had to be provided. You know, we have our PCs um, for, you know, Overwatch and the games that require PC like Valorant. Um, in regards to Call of Duty, there was, on occasion, uh, students would want to bring their own Xbox in, and we could, you know, we were definitely willing to accommodate that. They just plug it into the monitors that we already have. Um, in terms of rules about equipment, you'll occasionally have leagues, um, again, thinking about Super Smash, where they say that, if you play on the Switch, right, you can't use a Wi-Fi connection. You have to have a wired connection, and that might require an Ethernet adapter that you have to buy. Um, usually, outside of that, for PCs, there's no, you know, they don't require a minimum specification. It's just kind of on you, right? If you have a PC that is top of the line, then you'll, you'll get more FPS and maybe have a side advantage. If you have a PC that only gets... 30 FPS, then you, you know, you're kind of out of luck. As long as, as long as you can play the game and, and connect to the server, that's kind of what all the rules dictate. Okay, thank you. Um, for us at St. Mary's, we play all the games that Tamusa doesn't, except for Overwatch. Um, we've got an Overwatch team. We play Rainbow Six Siege on PC, um, League of Legends, PC, and Fortnite is all platforms. Um, for Overwatch, we've had, I think we've had two players um, switch from console to PC, which can be a task. Um, some, I think one of our players still plays with uh, a controller, um, which is fine with the league. Uh, for Rainbow Six, we did have one player switch from console to PC, uh, which was a interesting um, experience because they couldn't, continue playing with a controller they had to switch to keyboard and mouse because of the rules of the league and on top of that they we have to run a program called moss 
which is like a super duper sketchy program, but it's basically like the anti-cheat for Rainbow Six because there's not like a good anti-cheat. Um, for League, that's PC. Um, for Fortnite, all platforms, we have players that are PC, keyboard, or mouse. I've got a player on Xbox. I've got a player on PlayStation. No Switch players, no mobile players, but uh, for that game, it, it really just, you know, can you connect? Do you have your keyboard? Do you have your controller? Um, not too, I guess not too much of a barrier to entry there for Fortnite. Um, when it comes to our players, you know, if they want to come into the arena, we encourage that they bring their own peripherals, whether it be a headset, keyboard, mice, controller, just to kind of limit any contact surfaces. Um, and for those that don't have that, we have it in the arena to provide. It's just an extra step for us in terms of cleaning. But realistically, um, most of our players have the peripherals that they like. Okay. Okay. This is going to be directed maybe towards Travis, but definitely towards Charles. So I've been playing Call of Duty since the PS3. And now as it's evolved, now it's, we have cross-platform. And... It may just be my opinion, but it seems I play on a now play on a PS5, play on a PS4, PS3. I never play on Xbox. In my opinion, it seems like the PC players are like a thousand times faster in everything. And I'm wondering, is it lag? But it's just the FPS, like you mentioned before. It's just amazing. So do y'all play y'all Call of Duty on the PC? And have y'all seen that there's such a big difference between the console and the PC for Call of Duty? So I'll comment on the, the technical part, and then Charles can probably comment more on his experiences. He's, he's definitely played a thousand times more COD than I have. Um, the reason why uh, you experience that when you play against PC players specifically has to do with the, the input type. So uh, right, your console players have to use controller. Um, PC players can use mouse and keyboard. Mouse and keyboard is, is, in my opinion, pretty much a straight up advantage in every imaginable aspect because you have a, a much larger degree of control and uh, you can be much more precise with the you know, movements of your mouse. Uh, whereas on controller, you are limited kind of artificially by the, the, the control stick and how fast you can turn. Uh, you know, there's aim assist to, to kind of account for that, but it, it's, it's not enough. Um, if you practice with the mouse a thousand hours, right, you're going to be able to get that crosshair exactly on the head in five milliseconds, right? Or, or you know, 30 milliseconds, of a very fast movement. Whereas controller, you can have the same level of knowledge, but the input is literally going to, to the hardware input is going to limit you and how fast you can respond. So that's why if you had a console player versus a PC player, like a 1v1 dual type thing, the PC player would, in my opinion, have an advantage all around. So it, it does kind of make it unfair in that regard. And that's why when we compete in, in our leagues for Call of Duty, it doesn't matter if you're on PC or console, PS4, Xbox, you can only use the controller. Mouse and keyboard is not allowed to compete against console, uh, controller, sorry. And then Charles can, can speak more on that. To, to go along with that, also the FPS difference, well, now it's not really a, a factor because the PS5 and Xbox One can run 120 FPS on most uh, Call of Duty games. But from the Xbox One, and PS4 standpoint, you're on limited to 60 and below. So there is a little slight delay or edge against if you're playing on a 120 FPS uh, PC setup. But they since limited that, like how Travis said, basically it's just 
mouse and keyboard is so much better than a controller in terms of aiming and stuff like that. But I, I actually started off on a PS3 just like you playing uh, Modern Warfare 2, but then I had switched to a Xbox One, and that's where I had stayed up until uh, I joined the esports team. And then as soon as I saw that advantage from the FPS standpoint and say the PC just the PC just runs Call of Duty so much better in terms of from FPS and all that. So and plus they had the FOV advantage from on the Xbox One and PS4 versions, you couldn't change your FOV from I think the standard was 85, but on, on PC you can change it to up to 120. So that just allows you to see so much more of your screen. So you won't have to say if you, you can hold two corners on a PC versus you can hold one corner and you won't be able to see the other corner on the console. But they since limited that too to on a, the PS5 and Xbox Series X. So that's it's just been it's been a little bit different. It's, it does take a bit to get used to going from a console to PC, but you, as soon as you change that alpha V, you do start moving faster in your mind. So you can, I guess that con like, it's like kind of the, the placebo effect. Like you feel like you're moving a lot faster, but it's really just, you're getting adapted to the FOV change and the smoothness of a PC running versus the console running it. Yeah. I agree because I play Cold War on the five multiplayer they had to play the Cold War War Zone on the four. And a five, it looks amazing. And for some reason, it won't let me run at 120, but at 60 frames per second, it, it runs amazing. And on four, it looks good, but it's a big difference between the four and the five. And I do a lot better on the five than doing the four. So that's that's one of my biggest concerns. The group of guys I play with, we're always crying about that, you know. <laughs> PC, PC, they're just too fast, yada, yada, yada. And then we're playing against like 18 to 19 year olds against us, and you know, it's no, it's no competition with that. But I'm glad to hear that Call of Duty is, a, is definitely an a esports game. Uh, that's awesome. That's very awesome. And Rainbow Six also, that's a good game. I like that game also. But I think to close out, what do you expect the future to be? Next semester, you know, hopefully we get back to some kind of normalcy. We might be able to meet in person. We we'll have to lifestyle everything down. What do you think, competition-wise and just academic-wise, that semester will look for you in the spring? Uh, academic-wise, being able to do more of those in-person meetings, that's something that I actually wasn't able to do this semester. Getting to talk with a student one-on-one -on -one or, or talk with teams, you know, uh, just purely about academics, uh, making sure that they're on track and, and uh, you know, answering their questions and helping out wherever possible. Um, meeting in person, I think, always makes things easier and it's it's more relatable. Um, on the competitive side, um, nothing too big of a change. You know, still practicing. We may be able to have more people in the room and that might make things easier. Um, for me, the biggest change will probably be our initiatives and what we're trying to do outside of the team. Um, building more, now that we have the foundation with the teams, you know, trying to create more strategic partnerships of, you know, organizations in the community, uh, trying to do more team bonding events, as, as Caitlin mentioned, in person, you know, maybe like a barbecue or something fun. These are things that, that weren't necessarily possible. Um, and maybe even hosting some some small events, you know, maybe if we could host an invitational, invite St. Mary's over, have a friendly Overwatch match, you know, um, in, in uh, like a auditorium or something like that. You know, these are kind of the things that I'm looking forward to to exploring and seeing what we can do. 
Yeah, absolutely. More so than just having our Overwatch players play League of Legends. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, academically, you know, continuing to not just push the players to, you know, excel, but also recognizing better when they're struggling. Um, spring semester, you know, we've got juniors, we've got seniors, some of the classes get harder, uh, sometimes all of the classes get harder. And so I think for us, one thing that we learned in the spring is to kind of how to better identify a player who might be struggling academically and how to um, earlier on get them on the track for success, whether that's, you know, whatever success might look like. If that's just a passing grade, cool, to get them there. Or if it's the difference between a B and an A, okay, cool, to get them there. Um, one of the things that we're going to work on is um, trying to create more study groups for our players. Um, within our program, we have, you know, every degree possible. Uh, we've got marketing, finance, uh, electrical engineering, computer science, and a lot of these players are not on the same team. So pairing up, you know, our 3.98 GPA, you know, computer science major with the computer science major on the Rainbow Six team who's struggling is one of our goals to make sure that, okay, we're keeping them both in check um, and so on. Um, competitively, I think it's going to look a lot of the same, um, <laughs> a lot of the same schools, a lot of the same competitions, whatever we played in this, in the, in the fall, we're going to continue playing in the spring, um, looking to add more, you know, weekend competitions. Um, and then overall as a program, um, continuing, you know, all the initiatives we have, whether that's going to be fundraising, whether that's going to be, you know, building bridges and relationships with those here in San Antonio, like Tamusa, you know, we're not rivals, we're, we're, our friends from Tamusa kind of deal, um, you know, figuring out what's going to work best for our community, figuring out what's going to work best long-term for recruitment, acquisition, retention. Um, you know, we learned a lot in the fall and now we get to apply all those things that we learned. That was wonderful. I'm sorry. I lied. I have some more questions. So basically what academic standard does the student have to have to be able to play? Is there a, NCAA rule that you have to have a certain GPA or do you have a self-imposed rules on your teams? Uh, so right now there is no overarching governing body that uh, enforces any GPA requirements. I know NACE, which is the National Association of Collegiate Esports, they have maybe 180 to 190 member institutions. They are just now in the beginning steps of looking into that area, but there's nothing in place right now. Really the only requirements in terms of uh, academics that we see are one from the program itself. Um, you know, for example, Katie mentioned they were under athletics. So, you know, their athletics department may say all student athletes have to say have a 2.0. Uh, now, of course you want to shoot higher than that. Um, uh, but at baseline, you have to have 2.0. Um, and then the second part are the leagues itself, the leagues that we compete in, uh, a lot of leagues, actually, I'd say almost all the leagues, uh, the major ones at least have their own GPA requirements that in some cases may actually be higher than what your teams is. So say TESPA, for example, uh, I believe they required that uh, you, you have at least a 2.5. Uh, now I, they wouldn't check that unless you actually made it to say playoffs where you were trying to, you, you were actually eligible to win a prize. That's when they would actually go and check, uh, but they do have those in place. So uh, I, I've 2.5 is the highest I've seen it. Um, and the lowest I've seen it is 2.0 on the side of the, uh, the leagues that we compete in. 
Okay. Yeah, and, and that's pretty similar to us. We, because we live under athletics, although we don't mimic all of the NCAA guidelines and rules that the rest of our athletic teams do, um, we mimic quite a few. We follow quite a few. So 2.0 minimum GPA, um, 12 hours minimum to be considered full-time, at least for undergrad, and then at least nine hours past every semester. Um, and then... Again, yeah, it, it's going to depend on the league if there are any um, special requirements um, in terms of GPA or full-time versus half-time status. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, as long as you've got that 2.0 and you're full-time and you're passing, uh, I'm happy. Of course, we're always going to aim higher, but that's the, that's the bare bones. There you go. Okay. And the next question would be, is there a season that y'all have? It's like maybe like, you know, the spring is this season or this is the part of summer. Do you have season or do y'all just go all year round being competitive? There's some loose definitions of seasons. Um, you know, like the fall semester, they'll, competitions will fall within, you know, that, that part of the year. And then the spring semester, our, our leagues will fall in there. But where it gets crazy is these leagues don't necessarily work with each other. So, they don't care if their schedule conflicts with another one. Um, some start and end early in the semester. Some start mid-semester and then end after your semester is already over, which presents some uh, challenges. Um, but they generally fall within, you know, a set few months time frame. Uh, as for the seasons that we compete in, uh, my plan for right now is just to stick to, you know, the fall and spring. But there's competitions for collegiate all year round. In the summer, in the winter, you, you could technically compete. You know, you could have a Call of Duty team and they'd be playing year round. I, I personally, I don't plan on doing that because I want the students to have breaks and enjoy their time. But uh, yeah, that's kind of a, a picture of it. Okay. And yeah, we're following a pretty similar structure, fall and spring semester competition. Um, I know a lot of the Rainbow Six leagues offer like winter, you know, kind of condensed leagues and summer competitions. And although I love watching uh, my team play, I think, yeah, the sentiment of, of having a break between competition and school is definitely needed. Um, I think... For us and the games we compete in, I think the half of our seasons start in early January and then the other half start in like early February. So we've got like a couple of weeks of kind of disconnect. So it, it can sometimes present a logistical challenge when it comes to scheduling practices and such. Okay. Okay. And has COVID hampered your recruiting? Yeah, it's, it's been a, a – well – I, I wanted to explore more with, you know, how traditional recruitment works, right? Where you go out and visit the high schools and you, and you create the, those relationships because I think that's, I mean, it, it only benefits esports. Um, but esports has traditionally not necessarily relied on that. Um, I think esports, uh, you know, given being online and collegiate esports, uh, you know, we recruit through social media, through our you know, existing student populations. Um, through forms and generating interest online. So that's kind of been, at least for me, the, the main uh, medium. Um, but that being said, because of COVID, I was not able to go out at all to really visit high schools. And that's one area that I 
still really want to get into. So hopefully next semester, but uh, it, it may not be until next fall that the university allows you know, me to do that. Yeah, and for us, it's very similar. Lots of social media, lots of online um, recruiting, uh, you know, talking to students via Zoom instead of in person. That was definitely one, one thing for us that we felt that we missed out on is we couldn't give tours of our arena during the summer to potential recruits. And, you know, things like that are really important when it comes to a student figuring out if a school is, you know, the best fit and vice versa, you know, a coach figuring out if a student is the best fit. And so unfortunately we didn't get that in-person aspect um, not just you know campus tours or visiting high schools but also going to regional competitions or regional conventions where they have the amateur tournaments that high school students play in and they bring their parents right like all of that <laughs> has unfortunately been canceled shut down delayed because of covid and you know we'll never really know what we missed out on or what we you know what potential recruits kind of slipped through the cracks but we've just got to you know continue to be flexible and deal with the ambiguity and, you know, plan for next year. Yeah. So we can do is keep being adaptive and keep on trucking. And I have a question for Charles and Mateo. I'll start with Charles. What advice would you give to a potential e-sports student athlete, given your situation, you've been, you've gone through a semester of it or more than a semester of it. What would you tell them? the positives and probably I don't get to be too many negatives, but what are the positive and negatives of being an esport athlete, student athlete? Um, so from my experience, um, basically you just have to be willing to learn and take and give constructive criticism. Well, um, and just have a good time with it and don't let the, the losses or the wins get to you to that point because if you lose a lot it's gonna sure it's gonna weigh down on you but hey if you if you lose and you say hey we rotated very well that game versus oh we didn't even do anything different that game so just learn to learn to basically get something from your losses don't let the wins get over your head have a great time and just do as best as you can so, Mateo? Yeah. I'm, another big thing is because I know, like, whenever you look at, like, I guess anything that's competitive, like, the average person will always probably have that mindset, oh, maybe I'm not that good. You just you miss all the shots you don't shoot. Even if you're a little down on yourself, I think always you should try out. You never know what's going to happen. As long as you know, like, mentally, like, you can, you can check on yourself mentally. You have the ability to improve, adapt, take your criticism. And it's like you, you really have to show that stuff too because, I mean, you're, you're putting yourself out there. So you, you want to show your qualities. You know, don't be, don't be a blank piece of paper. Show your personality because, I mean, sometimes I, I think they said whenever they're looking for students, they don't, oh, they don't want the best player. They want something to build off of. You may not play that semester, but – they want something to build off of. They want to see improvement. They want to see something that just isn't, that just can't click well, but, you know, maybe talk well, maybe improve the environment well. So just, you know, don't, don't only just harp on yourself if you don't think you're good at a game. But sometimes that's not what they're looking for. Who knows what might happen? That's true. That's a great statement. You, you miss all the shots you don't take. That's a great statement to take. 
So thank you again, St. Mary's University, Texas A&M San Antonio University, Mateo Charles for sharing this with the San Antonio Public Library, the community, San Antonio, the state of Texas, everything we enjoy hearing from you, these experiences you have, and how to get esports to the forefront of San Antonio. We had to speak with Geekdom, how we're trying to build an infrastructure in San Antonio to be better, and Port SA's building the arena. So we're coming along. We just need to keep getting those students in there, keep growing the program, and we'll be okay. Anything last things you'd like to say before we leave? Caitlin, Travis? Thanks so much for, for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, I I think working together and building this up is is what needs to be done to continue to promote and build esports in San Antonio. So thank you for having me, you know, this time and all throughout the summer. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for putting on this content. Uh, I've no, uh, uh, I share this with my students when, when it's posted and, you know, they've made comments like, hey, that's cool or, you know, uh, it's exciting to get to hear, you know, not just from me, but, you know, from, from other people working, you know, Kaylin over at St. Mary's, uh, it gives them some perspective and, and seeing that, hey, esports really is, is growing um, and, and just learning about all the, the different ways uh, in which it is doing. So, so thank you for that. Uh, other than that, just uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and hope everyone stays safe and gets to spend some time uh, with, their, with their families. Thank you. And again, anything we can do at the San Antonio Library to help you all out, just let us know. We're always here to help. This is El from the San Antonio Library. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, thanks for listening. And get connected on mysapple.org with Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Pinterest, Flickr, Instagram, and follow tuned in on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music.